Now we're jumping into the message. So today we're finishing up a three-week series on prayer, and the message for today is prayer is essential. We're talking about how prayer is asking, prayer is listening, and today prayer is essential. I, w- I want to show you a couple of trips from, uh, pictures from the trip we took to Israel, Amy and I recently. So this is a picture I took uh, from a mountain top, and that, that one area there were all the little lines going left and right, that's a tell, an archaeological mound where there, uh, there's an ancient city underneath that. And so I took this picture from a, a, a top of a chapel on top of a mountain that had a good overlook. But when you see it, it's kind of hard to look at. It doesn't really jump out at you, the picture. And so we were talking, and as we're talking, the sun broke through the clouds and had the second picture. It's like, and plus I decided, hey, don't be an idiot. Turn your camera the right way. And so I did that, and now you see the sun shining on that tell. That's the ancient city of Gibeon. I know, exciting, right? Gibeon. You love Gibeon. Nobody knows anything about Gibeon. But that's the ancient city of Gibeon. And, and we learn about Gibeon in the Bible in Joshua chapter 9, where Joshua is leading the army into the promised land. And God said, conquer the whole land. No exceptions. Don't leave any ancient cities there. Conquer all of it. So if you think of the Jordan River there, they're coming in from the, from the desert into the promised land. They've conquered the cities east of the Jordan. They've conquered the cities right against the Jordan on the west side. And these cities over here, including Gibeon, are freaking out because they know that Joshua and his men are coming. They know that that God is with them and they're scared about it. So the folks in Gibeon decide to do something, a different tactic. The Bible calls it, uh, the people who study the Bible call it the Gibeonite deception. Now I've underlined the word Gibeon there. I've kind of highlighted it. That's foreshadowing, uh, boys and girls. That's that's exciting. I'm going to change that word in just a minute. I mean, Pretty fancy. I know, first week back, I've had three months to think about that. So, so, so the Gibeonites decide to be deceiving. They put on old clothes, like they've traveled a long way. They have old kind of dusty shoes. They have wineskins that have cracks in them. They have old moldy bread, like they've been on this long journey. And they go and meet Joshua, and they go and meet the army, and they say, we've traveled such a long way to find you. And we finally found you. We've heard about your great God. Make a treaty with us. Let us be in, in community with you. You don't have to worry about us. We're, we're from a long ways away, but let's have a treaty together. And the guard's like, wait a minute. How do we know that you're not like nearby and you're just trying to deceive us? And they said, look at our clothes. I mean, look at our shoes and taste our moldy bread. You'll know we've come from a long ways away. It was fresh when we started out to meet you. And Joshua 9, 14 says, the Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. And they were deceived. Uh, my translation of Joshua 9.14 is, we're smart enough to handle this without God's help. We got this. Now, it's likely that none of you have ever made a treaty with an enemy city disobeying God because of moldy bread. That's probably not ever happened to any of us. But it's also likely that all of us have lived out this deception. That all of us have decided at one point or another, we're smart enough to handle this on our own. We don't need God's help for this. We got this. I can do this job without God's help. I can fix this problem without God's help. I can fix this relationship without God's help. I can raise these kids without... Actually, no one's ever said that. We know raising kids, you can't do it. But but we've all said those things. Like Like, we can do this without God. We don't need to pray to God about it. We got it. It's not just the Gibeonite deception. It's the modern deception. And the enemy of our souls is not all that creative. He He keeps deceiving us in the same sorts of ways... And he continues to deceive us today, just like he did Joshua and the Israelites from Gibeon. Jesus gave us a different model. 
John 15 says, I am the vine and you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you cannot do anything. Nothing. The Greek word for nothing that Jesus used, it carries the picture of shutting the door. Like you're, just close the conversation. Shut the door, drop the mic. You can't do anything, Jesus says. The, the Greek dictionary I, I looked at said, uh, there's, it's a, it's, there's no valid examples exist of what you can do. Apart from me, Jesus says, there's not any valid examples anywhere. Anything you can do of significance without me. You can do nothing. Instead, Jesus gave us a different model for our life. Matthew 7, 7, Jesus says, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. According to Jesus, my life, your life, should involve a lot of asking of God, a lot of seeking of God, a lot of knocking before God. And I never had really thought until this week of how those are distinct. I had kind of just repetitive, you know, pray, pray, pray. I think Jesus was trying to get onto something here. And I've really spent some time thinking about it. And I've even kind of made some hand motions that's helpful for me. That maybe this is not helpful for anybody else, but I'm simple. So, like, we, we should ask God for things. So I've got my hands open, like, like, God, I need you to give me this. Can you fix this? Can you add that? Can you take this away? Can you change this? I'm asking God for things. And then we seek God, and I've got my hands to the side, kind of like you're giving God a hug. Like you're inviting God in to be part of this situation. I'm going through a tough time. Beyond just asking you to fix it, I want you to be with me through it. I want to be with you through it. So I'm seeking God. And then I'm knocking before God. I've got my hands down like I can't do anything about this. This door is shut. I can't open it. This problem is bigger than I can fix. This, this, this challenge is too big for me. I'm just knocking for you to open the door. So my hands are down in humility, like, God, I can't do anything. Ask and seek and knock. It's all a little different to me, and we should be doing all of those. Now, for many of us, if we're honest, and this is a good place to be honest in church, for many of us, we don't really pray at all. We don't ask, seek, or knock. We don't do any of it. We're busy, and we got it. We don't really need God for that. Or at least we think we don't need God for that. All of us, I'd say, there's times where we don't pray much. Others of us, when we do pray, we ask, but we don't seek and knock much. It's mostly, God, I need this, I need this. Can you fix this? Can you change that? I need this. God, I need this, I need that. doesn't really work very well in a relationship if you've ever tried that with your spouse or your girlfriend, your boyfriend. So we ask God for what we want, but we don't seek him to be with him in the middle of the struggle, and we certainly don't hum- humbly knock and say, God, we can't do anything about it at all. We just trust you to do something about it because we think we can handle it. We just ask God for what we want him to do because we know what's best. We're smart enough to handle it without him. It's a modern deception that's age old. The results are just the same. We should be asking and seeking and knocking constantly because we don't know what's best. You know, this is a really important time in the life of our church. Um, and this, this is a true story. I, in my office, I, I was working on the message early in the week and the, I wrote that line down in my notes and it just kind of struck me because when I said it, I was thinking about how I'm coming back from sabbatical. It's a new year. I was thinking about how we're going to reach a lot of people for Christ in this next season and how we're going to help a lot of people in this next season and how we're going to make a big impact in our community this next season. And all that's true. And that's what I was thinking when I wrote that down in my notes, that we're going to help a lot of people and do a lot of, God's going to do a lot of cool things through us. All that's true. 
But it hit me as I wrote it down that this is a really important time in our church because it's a really important time in every single one of our family's lives. I mean, think about it. What, what five-year period in, in anybody's life is unimpactful? From birth to, to death, is there a five-year period in somebody's life that doesn't, doesn't really count for anything? They're all huge. If you have kids or grandkids, how old are they going to be five years from now? And how much different will their life be five years from now than it is now? That's true if they're a baby or a toddler. That's true if they're a early elementary or high school. Five years from now makes a big difference. Maybe they're married and they'll have kids five years from now. Maybe they have kids and their kids will be so much older. Like, what are the situations? Five years, I mean, think about what age your kids and grandkids will be five years from now. It's a, it changes some stuff. What about your job or your marriage or your relationships? Five years is a long time. A lot will change in the next five years. I mean, life is uncertain. There are some of our family here who's not with us today that if you'd asked them five years ago, they thought they would have been with us, but they're not with us because life's uncertain. And some of us will be in eternity five years from now. And we don't necessarily think we will be, but we will because that's how life works. So I want to say with a little more oomph than I initially had planned, this is a really important time in the life of our church. And it's so vital that we as a group are here as a community because in Spring Hill, there are so many families all around us and every single family, every single house and every subdivision you drive through is full of a family who the next five years really matters. And so it's important that we're here as the church to give them a spiritual family, to love them through it, to give them Jesus, who's the only answer that will provide for their needs. And they don't have a spiritual family right now, many of the families around us, and they don't have a relationship with Jesus to see them through, and we know him. So it's really important that we're here and at our spiritual peak right now, because this is a really important time in the lives of every one of our neighbors. You know, they need us to stop sending our thoughts over Facebook and start sending our prayers to heaven for them and their tough thing. They need us, and I'm picturing the Old Testament book of Nehemiah here, they need us to take our place on the wall to defend spiritually this city. I was reminded this week, thinking through, of the Jesus' statement in the garden. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he goes to pray right before he's arrested. And he takes Peter and James and John and gets them off to the side. And he's like, will you just pray with me? And Matthew 26 says, my soul is overwhelmed. This is Jesus with sorrow to the point of death. Will you stay here and keep watch with me? Our neighbors need us to keep watch with them spiritually in prayer. So this is an important time for our church. There's a lot on the line for what we do in these days. More specifically, and if I can be a little more personal for just a minute, I'm not sure why I said it as a question. I'm going to say it either way, you know, but this is my first Sunday back from sabbatical. So if, if, if you're new here today, you didn't know why everybody's so excited that, or dreading it or whatever the situation, but it's her first Sunday back from sabbatical. I went on a sabbatical uh, in part because my 20 year anniversary here is coming up and all of that, but mainly I went on sabbaticals because I was struggling emotionally, mentally, spiritually, mostly mentally, emotionally, I was depleted. And I was going to a counselor and he strongly recommended a sabbatical because he works with pastors all the time and sees them burning out and all this stuff. 
And right before I went on sabbatical, after we had planned it, after we had told you, but before I left, I met again with my counselor, and he told me he was proud of me for the mental work I was doing, the emotional work I was doing, the spiritual work I was doing. He was excited that the break was going to happen. We'd been talking about it for a while. And then he said, I think you were closer to the edge than you realize. And I said, well, I thought I was pretty close. He said, I know you did. I think you were closer than you realize. And it kind of offended me, you know, like... (laughs) I think he was right. I think he was right. I think I was closer than I thought. Now, theologically speaking, I believe Satan is limited. Satan can't be everywhere all at once. He can't be doing everything all at once to everybody. His his guys can't work everywhere all at once. He's limited. He has to pick and choose what he does and who he goes after. And I think he tried to take me out. And I think I was closer than I realized that I was. Certainly closer than I was letting on to you guys. But thanks to God and a faithful family and supportive elders and a great staff and a generous church, I feel more like myself today than I have in a long time. And I really am grateful for that. But I think he tried to take me out. And I would be naive to think he won't try again. And I'd be arrogant to think he was only coming after me. I think, I don't want to overstate this, I think Wellspring's name is written on a a whiteboard in a dark place. I do. And we need to pray and we need to ask and seek and knock because this is a really important time for our church for so many reasons. So I want to give you three specific ways I want to challenge you to pray in the last moments we have to finish this series and start our year. Okay, three specifics if we can do that. Number one, I want want to challenge you to pray first. Make prayer the first thing you do in every situation. So no matter what you're facing during the day, pray first. So you're going to work, pray first before you get there. You're picking your kids up from school, pray first before they get in the car. You're sending your kids off in the morning to go to school, pray with them first before they go off on their day. Got an important meeting, stop and pray first. Need to have a difficult conversation with your boyfriend or girlfriend, husband, wife, pray first. Like whenever you switch from one item in your day to the next item in your day, pray first, but in, in the middle there. Just, it doesn't have to be a 20-minute prayer. It doesn't have to be an hour-long prayer. You can do a 30-second, a five-second acknowledgement that, God, I'm seeking you to be with me in this. Maybe there's specific things you want to ask him. Maybe you just say, I don't have a clue what to do. I'm just putting this at your feet. But, but just be connected to God before you go to the next item. Pray first. James 5 says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Why would you do that? Because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And my question for us is, do we believe that? Do we believe that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective? And if we do, we should take lots of little moments in the day to seek God first. Pray first. Hebrews 11 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. My question is, do you believe that? That if you earnestly seek God, he's going to reward you for having done so. If you do, then you should probably pray more than what most of us do. And if you're already praying a lot, it's probably because you've got a spiritual gift and, and personality and wiring for that, which means we really need you praying even more. You're the prayer warrior in our group and we need you. Take a moment regularly throughout your day and pray first. Secondly, I want to challenge you to pray strategically. Pray first and then pray strategically. In the Old Testament, one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament of the Bible, the first half of the Bible, is a guy named Daniel. He's got a whole book written about him, Daniel. 
And he was a high official in the government. He was a rising star politically. And he was also a very devout man who prayed religiously. You can read about it in the book of Daniel. Uh, the first six chapters or so is his story. The last six chapters is kind of some weird uh, visions and dreams. If you're, if you're new to the Bible, you may want to skip that part. But stick on the first five, six chapters. A lot of cool stories in there. And some jealous people in the administration saw Daniel's star on the rise and said, we've got to take him out, but we can't send a scandal. He's, he's too honest. He has too much integrity. It's something with his God. We'll do something with his God, and that, that'll take him out. So they convinced the king to pass a law saying you can't pray to anyone or anything other than God, other than the king, rather, for 30 days. That's what you picture politically. We get grumbly sometimes about our government, and I have plenty of reasons to grumble myself. But can you imagine Congress passing a law saying you couldn't pray to anybody but the president for 30 days? I mean, this is way beyond anything we have to deal with, right? But they passed it, the king passed it, and I love Daniel's response. Daniel 6.10 says, when Daniel learned that the decree had been signed and posted, what did he do? Well, of course, he got on Facebook and complained about how offended he was, right? That's what he did when he learned about it. No, it doesn't, doesn't talk about Facebook in Daniel 6. It says, when, when Daniel learned that the decree had been signed and posted, he worried and fretted and couldn't sleep all night because his religious liberties are being taken away. I didn't say that either. It says, when Daniel learned that the decree had been signed and posted, he continued to pray just as he had always done. He continued to pray just as he had always done. Now, Daniel lived in Babylon, a thoroughly secular culture, much more than ours today. And they outlawed prayer, something our lawmakers, even those who are opposed to faith, would never dream of doing because it would be too much of a political cost for them to do so. And yet Daniel prayed just as he had always done. And they attempted to execute him because of that. You can read the story if you don't know the story. Now, we're living in a free culture in America today, and we have many Christian liberties no one opposes you if you pray in your home, and yet many of us don't do it very much. Imagine that. Daniel faced execution for praying, and yet he continued to pray religiously. We can pray as much as we want to, and we don't do it. Most of us own multiple Bibles in our household that we never read, or rarely read, and yet Daniel faced execution for his willingness to continue to pray just as he had always done. I really hope that we as a culture, the Christian community, we as a wellspring, that's all we can control, right? I really hope that we begin to read his word and pray like we should without some sort of outside political pressure forcing us to wake us up and get our attention. I really hope that. I mean, let me say that again. I, I hope that we don't come to a point as a country where we face some outside pressure that wakes up the church, but that we on our own start reading the Bible again and praying again like he, we know we're supposed to. We know that's what we need in our life. We know we can't do it on our own. We just lose track of that. Philippians 4 says, do, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, catch that, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Every situation. Do you believe that? If you do, then pray about every situation. I don't know the answer to this. The Bible doesn't say the answer to this. I, I think God would rather you pray a lot all day long than have some chunk of time in the morning and then forget about him all day. Pray all the time. So pray first and pray strategically. 
I mean, this is saying, don't just pray about random stuff. In every situation, when you're facing things that make you anxious, pray about those things in every situation. So let me just ask you some questions. Are you anxious about the state of our country? Don't worry and stew about it. That doesn't accomplish anything except get the news stations to have you watch more so they can sell more commercials. Like, that doesn't do anything good. Pray and petition God for our country. Pray and petition God for our leaders, especially the ones you don't like. Are you anxious about the next generation? Don't grumble about them. Far too much of that doesn't help. Don't grumble about them. Pray for them. They have challenges that are unique to them that that are ones you didn't have to face. So pray for them. Pray and petition God for our students. Are you anxious about the economy or about your job or about the inflation? Don't post about it. Pray about it. Pray and petition God for our nation. Now let me get very specific. If I can just dial that down just a hair more. You know, leadership truth that I believe in, it may not be true, but I think it's true, is that most everybody wants to do something positive in the world. They're just, they're not sure who to trust and they don't know what they can do to help. I think that's most people. And so if that's you, let me give you something you can do to help. If you trust us, let me give you something you can do to help, okay? I know many of us want to see spiritual renewal in in our country. I think the problems of our time are spiritual. I don't think... There's political and economic answers. I mean, we can talk about all that, debate all, but I think it's spiritual that the problem is. And I think many of us believe that Christ, through the local church, is the only hope the world has. I believe that to the core of my being. So I want to ask that you would pray and petition God for our church. That you would regularly pray and petition God for our church, for our community. And then, you know, the other churches are doing that too. Let's pray for our community. Every service, you may not realize this, but back in that room, every service, there's people praying for you as you interact with God and the words of God and all of that. There are people praying right now for you back in that room. And I'd like to invite you to be part of the team that's kind of standing on the wall, spiritually speaking. They're keeping watch, as Jesus said, spiritually speaking. I'd like to encourage you to be part of that. If you'd be open to praying uh, on occasion, you know, once a month, however much you want to do it, you can pray one service. You can come in here the next service. It's, it's all set up for you. There's, we give you props and things you can do to pray through and all that prompts. Not props. You're not doing skits back there. No charades. Prompts. Um, so you can sign up for that today. There's a table outside uh, with a, a sign-up list or QR code. You can, you can do that today. We'd love to have more people on that list. Fill that room up even more. Rob, our student pastor, wants to bring that same level of spiritual support to our teens which I think is a fantastic idea. I wish I'd have had it a year ago. I, didn't, I don't know why we didn't, haven't thought of it before. And I know that a lot of us are eager for the next generation to thrive, not just economically, but spiritually, after we're all you know, gone. We want them to follow the Lord. We want them to raise up their kids to follow the Lord and all of that. And that can only be found in Christ. So at that same table in the lobby, beside the adult service sign-up list, there's a Wednesday night sign-up list where you can, you can say, I'll come on Wednesday night and pray. It'll be a rotation, you'll get invited and all that kind of stuff. But if you want to get invited, you've got to be on that list. You can sign up for one of those lists or the other list, or you can sign up for both if you want to. I just want to say about the Wednesday night list, because that's the new one. Are you concerned about the next generation? If that's true of you, back it up. I would say put your money where your mouth is, but this is free. This doesn't cost you anything but some time. Some of you say, I'm too old to work with the teens. You're not too old to pray. If you're concerned about the next generation, I want to ask you to back that up 
in prayer. Stand watch with them. Ask and seek and knock for their souls. We're starting out immediately. We need your help. Uh, now, that team is a separate sign-up out there, one for scheduling purposes. The other is because if you do stuff on Wednesdays with the teens, we have to run a background check on you because that's a requirement for all of our... But they can explain all that at the table and all that. I can think of few praying opportunities more strategic than an hour on Sunday or an hour on Wednesday. I, can't think of, I can think of just few opportunities that are more important than that. So pray first, pray strategic, and then third, pray often. Pray often. So the, the, right there, the this sabbatical, we were on a, uh, we went to Bethlehem uh, to see Jesus, the place they think Jesus was born, and I'll tell you more about that later. It's, it's a neat story, but, but they built a church over that site where they think Jesus was, was born at. Uh, they built churches over every site that they think something significant happened, which is kind of interesting there. But, so they have this church. Well, right next door to this church is a huge mosque because they're all side by side in that country. It's weird. How, like we're not used to that kind of a competition sort of feel. We may be used to Baptists and Presbyterians being next door, but they're all followers of Jesus. We don't, we're not used to mosque being next door. And so as we get off the bus to go into the, to Bethlehem, into the chapel to see this spot where Jesus is born, this kind of holy place people consider it, the Muslim call to prayer was happening. So on the loudspeaker was this call to prayer in Arabic, calling people to stop what they're doing and pray to Allah. And I said to Amy, I said, if the apostle Paul was here, what's the chances that he would go next door and debate with those folks? And my wise wife said, you're not the Apostle Paul. <laughs> Fair point. That's true. Um, and I said, yeah, but, but he would, right? And she said, well, yeah, probably. And she said he'd probably get beat up. And I'm thinking, that's what, yeah, that, he probably would get beat up. That's what he did. He got beat up a lot. And it really bothered my soul because like, man, it's just in your, kind of in your face, the, the situation. And I, I, I think their, their message is wrong. I think their beliefs are wrong, but their devotion is pretty impressive, I mean, part of their core tenet of their faith is that five times a day, the loudspeaker will blare out to the community this Arabic call to prayer, and they'll all stop what they're doing, and they'll take a moment to, to face a certain direction and pray to God, to Allah, and all that kind of stuff. Well, I'm competitive. If you don't know me, I'm competitive. And so I'm thinking, if they can pray five times a day, we ought to do six, because like our God deserves more than what they're False religion deserves. So I, like, I think we should do better than that. If they can do five, I want to do six. So what would happen if all of us, oldest to youngest, would stop what we're doing six times a day to ask for what we need, to seek God to be with us in that moment, and to, to knock and put the things before God that we can't open? Six times a day. Now, the loudspeaker in Spring Hill doesn't meet codes, so we can't do that. And I don't speak Arabic, so I can't call you to prayer in Arabic. I don't have a way to do that. So let me just make this easy, okay? Six times a day, six times a day. When you wake up, first thing, stop and pray. If it helps to ask, seek, and not, do that. Pray. Think through your schedule. What's coming up? Pray about it. On your way to work or school, ask, seek, knock. Pray about it. When you stop for lunch, pray and thank God for the meal. Fine. But, but stop and connect with God about what's going on in your day. Pray to God. For just, could be two, three minutes. On your way home from school or work, stop and pray. At dinner time, take a moment to pray. Again, more than just, hey God, thanks for the day, thanks for the food, let's eat. Like, stop and pray. Use that moment to do it as a family. As you go to bed, Think about your day and what's coming up next day. Ask, seek, and knock again. Ask God for a couple of things in your life that you're facing. Seek to connect with God in that moment and lay before God things, doors you can't open. 
six times a day, I think it would change so much if we did that together. All right, listen to me. Let me wrap this up because I'm late. I told you I'd be late. I'm later than I thought I was. Don't look at the clock. I'm sorry. Don't do that. <laughs> I'm more, I was convinced three months ago of the existence of God and of the person of Jesus. I, I, I had a mental crisis. I had an emotional crisis. I never had a spiritual crisis. I, I'm grateful for that to God. Never had a spiritual crisis. I believed all of it all the way through. I believed all of that before we went to Israel. Although that's a significant event that I think we're going to lead some trips. You all ought to think about doing it. It's, it's a once-in-a-lifetime time to be. You ought to try to do. I, I can read the Bible in 3D now, which is kind of cool. So I believed all of that before any of that. But having had the three months off, having had the trip to the Holy Lands, I am more convinced than ever that, that God created this world, that he created you, he created me, he had a design on our life, and he gave us freedom because he loves us to run our own path. And sometimes we follow him and sometimes we don't. And when we don't, it causes all kinds of mess. And any little mistake spiritually is enough to separate us from God forever. And because he loves us so much, he can either take all our control away or he could give us his son as an offering for sacrifice. And he chose to give us his son as an offering for sacrifice. And Jesus endured terrible torture and laid down his life so that you and I could choose in freedom to connect with him and to seek a relationship with him, and to lay things before him that we can't open on our own. And I want to invite you to do that. I want to invite you to do that now. I want to invite you to do that again and again and again every day of our life because that's how you and I were designed to live. And when we're doing it on our own, we were never designed for that. And you're going to pay a price for that. And your family's going to pay a price for that. And your coworkers are going to pay a price for that. And people all around you are in desperate need of a a family and a savior. And you need to be at the top of your game. And I've got to have you doing that through prayer. So if if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with God, maybe you know about him, maybe you made some commitments when you were a kid, but you're not in a relationship with God. I want to invite you to ask God to forgive you to, to ask God to, to send his spirit to live inside of you. I want to ask you to seek God, to walk along with him in this life, to, to, to walk through day-to-day challenges and victories together. And I want you to lay before him the perfection you can't get on your own. You'll never be good enough to deserve God. So lay that down at God's feet and ask him to open the door that you can't open. In Revelation, the Bible says that Jesus stands at the door and he knocks, inviting you to open the door and let him in. And I want to challenge you to do that today. I'm going to pray for us. You should pray with me. And then I'm going to sneak out the back quick. Keith will be down front because we're going to have a baptism in just a moment. And I want to be there for that. So would you pray with me? God, we... We lay ourselves before you. We have plenty of things to ask you for. We'll keep doing that. But God, right now in this moment, we want to seek you out. That you would walk with us. And we lay before you, God, all of those doors we can't open. In particular, God, we open the door where you're knocking for us. Some of us right now sense you knocking for our life or a portion of our life. And God, we're opening every door to let you in. Because we trust you. 
And we know that your way is best for us. Relationship with you is best for us. So God, we thank you. We yield to you. We humble ourselves before you in the name of Jesus.